Hello, everyone. Two quick plugs for two of our partners. Uh, First, Western Seminary. If you're looking for a great program to get a master's degree in in Bible and ministry and counseling or a doctorate of ministry, they are the place to go to Western Seminary. I'm a graduate from there and and can speak very highly of them. It's gospel-centered teaching and education. Also, a plug for our new partner, Eternity Bible College. If you're looking to get into full-time ministry or mission work, they have a crazy affordable program that really gives you just some incredible education, incredible equipping to take you to the place that God might be calling you. Yeah, and um, we also want to remind you, mark your calendars. We'll be reminding you guys of this more and more as we get closer, but mark your calendars for October 27th. That's our next large annual Regeneration Forum event in the Bay Area of California. And um, we'll have John Ortberg there, Joshua Ryan Butler, a variety of other speakers and artists. And uh, we've got a theme this year. We'll be exploring the realities, what the Bible has to tell us and not tell us about heaven and hell. It's one of the most often confusing and convoluted topics out there. So it's going to be an amazing time of learning and growing and hopefully instilling you with confidence and hope. And um, as always, you can always, if you have any thoughts or questions about our podcast or about Regeneration Project as a whole, you can always email us at podcast at regenerationproject.org. And now on to today's episode. Today, we are talking to Eric Bryant. Eric is a leader in the local church and has been in a variety of capacities for a number of years. Um, He served for many years at Mosaic Church in Los Angeles with Erwin McManus, and now he is one of the lead pastors at Gateway Church in Austin, Texas, um, which was planted by John Burke and uh, has multiple campuses all over Austin, Texas, doing incredible ministry in what is um, probably the most post-Christian city in Texas, maybe the whole country. Incredible city, and um, it poses its own challenges. And in this conversation, we get into a lot about the approach to creating church environments that really open its doors, especially to newer generations. That's such a real challenge for church leaders today. How do we reach emerging new young generations? And Eric has done that sort of work for many years, is continuing to do it in Austin, Texas. And um, he gets into all sorts of really philosophical, but also incredibly practical, helpful things that um, if you're a church leader, you'll be able to apply right away. So it's a fun conversation. We hope you enjoy it. Um, Here is our discussion with Eric Bryant. Hey, Eric, how you doing? Great. Great to be with you guys. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Um, We thought a good way to start would be to um, help people know a little bit more of your story. You uh, obviously are on staff at Gateway in Austin right now and really dynamic church doing a lot of things in a really cool city, Austin. Um, And you were uh, a big part of Mosaic down in LA before that. Um, But would love to hear just the full sort of scope of your story. How'd you get into ministry? Um, What was that journey like? Where did it take you? And how'd you get to, to where you are today? Well, I was fortunate to grow up in a home where my parents uh, took me and my brother to church and really grateful for that foundation. But as I grew a little bit older, started realizing how I really couldn't bring my friends that did not know God to what we were experiencing on Sundays or even in youth group. 
and then noticed uh, that it was kind of a don't ask, don't tell culture. You kind of acted one way, but you talked quietly about what you did the night before on Saturday. And so there was just a lot of, of inauthenticity growing up in Texas. And so as I got married, my wife and I had a real desire to help plant churches that are for people that would never necessarily attend a traditional church. So we moved to Seattle and we had an amazing experience there. Got to team with some remarkable people. It was challenging though, as a as part of a church planting team, we had four senior pastors the four years we were there. We learned how not to plant <laughs> church. And then uh, being a part of Mosaic for almost 13 years was a real great experience in terms of learning how to reach and disciple people from all sorts of backgrounds, uh, both ethnically and spiritually, and just felt like we were able to be a part of a healthy church before returning back to Texas. So after 17 years on the West Coast, we're now in Austin, which is uh, a, a blue dot in a red state. It's incredibly progressive, and it feels a lot like the West Coast in many ways. And uh, only 13% of Austin attends a church, and so it's a it's a a, a beautiful mission field uh, mixed up with people from all sorts of places. So. Our journey has been uh, a fun one filled with ups and downs, great seasons and tough seasons. But but yeah, we're, we're grateful to be able to have served in places like Seattle and LA and now here in Austin. And you've done, you know, you've written a lot of books and um, you've consulted uh, local church leaders in a variety of ways and you continue to do that and coach. But talk specifically about a little bit about Gateway Church, and um, you, you sort of hinted at it a bit there, but talk a little bit about the church, uh, about your role there, and sort of the unique place, you know, that is Austin, and trying to lead a local church in a place like Austin, Texas. Yes, I am the pastor at Gateway Church in South Austin, so we have three campuses here. Our senior pastor is John Burke. He wrote a book called No Perfect People Allowed about creating a come-as-you-are culture. And I'm just really fortunate after having such a great experience with Erwin McManus where we talked a lot about belonging before you believe uh, to, to be a part of another church that's really inclusive with uh, people from a variety of spiritual and ethnic backgrounds. So what's been fun is I really see my role as being a part of a campus planting campus. And so uh, we're trying real hard to reach people and raise up leaders and then send them out to reach more people and raise up leaders. And and Austin, it, it's the you know one of the fastest growing cities in America, lots of 20-somethings that move here. Uh, it's known uh, for Sixth Street. It's the live music capital of the world, Sixth Street's where you go to party. Uh, the tech industry is here. Of course, politics is here. It's not a place that you normally go to plant a church. Uh, and so I just love, uh, you know, the church planters that are here in the city, along with John Burke, who planted the church 20 years ago with such a, a great team. We, we are just really, you know, it feels like in the middle of, uh, of, a, of a place where perhaps the rest of America will be one day, certainly where Europe has been and Australia, just a post-Christian place where people have already rejected Christianity or grew up in homes without any introduction to faith. Uh, and so it's really been an exciting and challenging opportunity to try to introduce people to faith in a way that makes sense, even with if their perspective is more secular 
or or certainly not of the of a perspective that I grew up with. Eric, maybe you could explain briefly uh, the concept of belonging before uh, believing. Our previous episode on the podcast was with Dan Kimball interviewing a gentleman who's who was attending their church, Vintage Faith Church, who was not a believer, but he loved the community and loved the church. And it, it kind of has to do with this idea of like belonging before uh, believing. So I was introduced to the concept by the Burke book years ago. We had planted a small church, and that was a part of the kind of reading curriculum for the uh, plant team. Uh, but a lot of people are unfamiliar with that. Maybe you could explain that and say, why have we arrived at a place now where we're seeing that, and maybe why it's important for churches to create environments and places where they're actually trying to accomplish that that concept? Uh, great question. I, I love this idea of no perfect people allowed which is really what John Burke was trying to do was communicate, let's not act like we're someone we're not. It's okay to come with your doubts and your struggles. And if people can be honest with where they are, then they're finally in a position to move forward. And so creating a space, even on Sundays, where people can come from a variety of backgrounds, making decisions that may not be the same as what uh, the scriptures might advocate, you know, they're, they're just in a whole different place. It, it, really, if churches began to think of Sunday mornings more like the Sermon on the Mount and not as much like the upper room, I think it could really help us reconfigure how we do things. As people come in on a Sunday, which for us, in a place where, you know, live music capital of the world, people are used to going to concert venues. They're used to, uh, you know, sitting in a crowd. And I think for many who are open to spiritual things, Sitting in a in a concert venue or a crowd is far more comfortable than than a house church type setting, which may be more effective in other places. But for them to be able to come, check things out, they're not surprised we're singing about Jesus. But we even say things like, hey, we understand you may be new here. And it's like going to a concert of a band you've never heard of. And you may not know the lyrics to what we're singing, but you know what? We put them on the screen in case you wanted to sing along. And if you have an open heart, an open mind, sometimes singing these words can actually open uh, a pathway to connect to a God who loves you and created you. So we actually still do what most churches do, but with a, a mind for the non-believer. And, and Paul actually advocates for that. In 2 Corinthians 14, he says, as you gather together, don't forget about the unbeliever in your midst. And I think that too often churches see Sundays as for the saints and we think, you know what, if we just equip them here and they can go out and reach their friends, there's certain you know, value to that. But the catch is, if we're using Christianese to train up our people on Sundays to go out with Christianese, they're not going to be as effective. Whereas if the pastor or this person speaking is, is communicating to a, an audience like the Sermon on the Mount filled with disciples, but also some tax collectors and prostitutes, you know, the, he, that, that speaker is actually not only communicating in a way the audience can understand, but that those who do follow Jesus can can replicate when they're out in the real world. And so we use all the same words any church would use from the scriptures, but we explain what they mean. We don't assume everybody there knows the stories we know. And I'm telling you, you invite one friend, a neighbor, who's disconnected from God or church, you have them sit in your service, you will listen differently the entire time. Yeah, Great exercise to figure out are we creating a space where people can check things out? And, and I like to think of Sundays as uh, our gathering is really an advertisement for community. It's the front door 
into what I hope will be serving together with life groups and networks and spending time in the scriptures and having spiritual conversations. So for us, uh, Sundays is a great place to really practice creating a come-as-you-are space so that we can be come-as-you-are type people in our homes and where we work. One of the uh, kind of things that I see over and over again is, obviously, there's a tendency for extremes, but with the idea of Christianese and the language we use, um, many churches will rightfully sense that they're just using a bunch of biblical words and that people who are visiting can't understand it. So they throw out all the biblical terminology, uh, and they just use words that the average person who isn't a Christian can understand. The problem is, is then when that person tries to actually read their Bible or engage right. the faith, they don't have the vocabulary at all. So right. the whole, there, was, there was a move to like banish Christianese, and it, it actually, I think, did harm. But what you're doing is the perfect balance is you say there is a vocabulary that's unique, but we're going to be constantly defining our terms so that it is very, very easy for someone to kind of cross that that cultural barrier between church and non-church. Um, I mean, everything in our culture has its own language. If you were to talk to people in the gaming community, they're going to say, what's up with your KD on TDM? And, you know, there's a whole people that don't understand it. But if you're ever going to be in the gaming community, if you ever want to be a gamer, you better know what KD and TDM. That's basic. I don't, I don't understand. I mean, it. that's like basic level, Jay. That's like introductory <laughs> knowledge on that's in it. the gaming community. So, as Christians, you're doing the right thing. You're not like being embarrassed or hiding from biblical terms, but constantly defining so that anyone can engage and assess in, a, in an appropriate manner. Absolutely. There's a couple things I, I learned from Irwin out when I was at Mosaic, and one he would say things like. You know, my goal is not to feed you on Sunday, but to make you hungry so that you're living the kind of life that you are drawn to God through the scriptures throughout the week. And so we absolutely study the scriptures and we point people to the truth of the scriptures, but the scriptures actually lead us into into the presence of Jesus. And so helping people see the value of what these, you know, this ancient document and how it can still change our life. I love what you're saying about making sure that we're saying things that then when they look at the scriptures on their own, they have a a vocabulary to be able to read it, but also apply it to their lives, but also going to the scriptures with this expectant and opened heart and mind that God might speak to me as I read these pages. Eric, I want to ask you um, to expound a little bit more on, on this. We have a lot of people who listen to the podcast who um, are either, you know, they're church leaders in some capacity, whether they're paid staff or volunteer or somewhere in between. And a lot of the people who listen are interested in creating these sorts of environments. Uh, and for those who have been thinking about this for a long time and putting it into practice, some of the things we're talking about is sort of a, an affirmation and encouragement, like, okay, I'm on the right path. But there are many who I think, for many, this is sort of a fresh take you know they they just are like oh my gosh yeah i there there's so many church leaders who maybe haven't been quite as thoughtful about the language we use and um how we say the things we say and then even more practically this is going to sound so nuts and bolts and the feel of a room when you walk in or when you pull up to the parking lot and the energy of the people talk a little bit about 
to the church leaders who are listening, maybe highlight some key practical things that church leaders can be looking at, thinking about right now as they think about their communities, the environments and the spaces they're creating to lean their communities more in this direction, creating a place where people from anywhere and everywhere can belong and feel loved so that they might be compelled in an interesting way to, to check out Jesus further. So talk about some of the, the practical things that we can be thinking yeah, about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting because certainly one of the first things you could do is go and think about what would my neighbor, you know, the one I'm trying to reach out to think. But even better is actually next time you're talking to that neighbor, say, would you do me a favor? I'm trying to figure out if our church uh, is actually doing a good job of communicating in a way that that's helpful. Would you be willing to come on a Sunday and just tell me everything you experienced, the highs, the lows, and let them literally, you know, drive up on their own, see if they can find the, the you know the, the building, see what their experience was walking into the building and out of the building and during the service, and it's it sounds so simple, but I but I'm telling you. Most of us haven't taken the time to do that. And it's interesting, no matter where that neighbor might be spiritually, if you've developed a, a, enough of a friendship with them, they, you know, they, sure, I'll do a favor for you. You know, you let me borrow your lawnmower for the last month. You know, there's a, a sense of letting them be your eyes and ears because they will come back and tell you some things that you did not realize were happening. And I mean, to me, that's very basic, very practical. But what's fun to, to see. Uh, whether it's on our little Facebook, you know, reviews, people come and visit, uh, or just talking to people afterwards, you know, for us, when you walk in, it's just this big, what looks like a warehouse lobby, and there's just people walking around, and there's fresh made tacos, and then there's this moving wall. We borrowed this idea from Chris C. out at Ecclesia in Houston, and just one whole- second, you have t- fr- you have tacos? Did I <laughs> catch that? We have breakfast tacos. We have breakfast tacos. And actually, that started, that team started when we were meeting at a high school. And we. The taco team. The taco team. (laughs) We had this, they had this, uh, our our kids were over in one building, and then you had to walk across kind of this street and field to, to get to the auditorium. And so we bought a little taco trailer and parked it right in the middle of that street, created our own (laughs) little courtyard because we didn't have a lobby. And we just wanted to have that community space. So as you walk up, you get a free taco. It's and it's you know, free. It's free. Okay, so. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I mean, <laughs> I mean, this keeps getting better and better. So first, there's yes. a taco truck. Then there's the taco team, and now the well, tacos are free. Now is that just for visitors? Tacos well, are free for so visitors. What we did is we took, you know, instead of putting up billboards or using money to market, we thought if we can get people who come to come back. That's the best way to spend our money. Yeah, and uh, it, it's it's. I mean, it may cost about a dollar each. We might serve about a hundred people. You know, the first hundred people. So I'm telling you, it's crazy. We have a line of people to get that taco, and you know they could just walk down the street and buy it from someone else. But we like to say it's the best taco in town, or your money back. And uh, <laughs> they end up they end up coming and enjoying it. But but that line to get your food and the the wall is opening up to open into the auditorium. Yeah. Uh, we have a garage door that 
separates the lobby from outside. So when it's a beautiful day, the garage doors open into this lobby where you can smell the bacon and then you have the wall. I, I up. mean, I can smell it. I mean I, <laughs> as, I mean, I see the wall. I see the door opening. I'm smelling it. It's a delicious church experience for sure. Yeah. that's So step one, uh, every church in America, if you want to reach the lost, Tacos. the greatest evangelical evangelical tool you have is a taco team. <laughs> Tacos. I, and I'm telling you, it's funny. I mean, we had we had people who are, you know, some had start restaurants, some were entrepreneurs, and they just love getting that little taco trailer. And, you know, Austin's known for our little food trailers. We're known for breakfast tacos. So this was an idea born out of people in our church who wanted to reach other people not yet coming to our community. So but but all of it is boiled down to creating a space where people feel welcome. Uh, we have this uh, mural on the wall, and it has our core values. And, of course, the first one is come as you are. And the, originally our graphic designer had put a, a picture of like a finger pointing like, you know, Uncle Sam, like we want you. And uh, there's actually quite a large deaf community in Austin. And so I asked her to change it to instead of a pointing finger to the sign for I love you. And we've had people tell us that, you know, they looked in the door and they saw the sign for I love you and thought, huh, if this is what a church is like, then maybe I should check this out. And then our hope is every Sunday, you know, their experience uh, exceeds expectations, not in terms of production value, but in terms of feeling loved, cared for, uh, a message that is relevant. And ultimately what we want them to do is experience God and an experience of connecting with him in a way that might surprise them. And we've seen people from so many different backgrounds find faith, and we're constantly calling people to have that open heart and open mind. But if you're thinking about how do we help the people who come, going back to practical, uncross their arms and actually listen, and sometimes that could be humor. Sometimes we quote the poets, and people will be like, huh, that's that's fascinating. We are really intentional about those sorts of practical things. That's awesome. I think one of the key takeaways, sadly, I hear this a lot amongst younger church leaders, and I'm not indicting all young church leaders, but I've heard this a lot, primarily with those who are sort of new and jumping in to leading communities. I've heard this false dichotomy where when these sorts of ideas come up, the response sometimes will be, man, why do we have to do all of that? The only thing that matters is the gospel, right? They'll say things like that, as if um, the two are in opposition. And I think what you're saying, you know, the, the tacos, such a beautiful imagery, that's a lot of work. It's a lot of ingenuity. It's a lot of people dreaming, planning, cooking, money. It's all of those things. Um, but that's not disconnected from at all. In fact, it's so deeply connected to the message and the gospel, the good news that Jesus has come to give us life and life to the full, and that's available to anyone who would receive him. And there's something so crucial about the idea that the gospel is good news, and the warmth and the level of excellence and all of those minute details that communicate in verbal and nonverbal ways that, hey, there is something good here and um, you belong here, and you're welcome here, all of those little things, the effort that goes into them, I think, and, and all of us in our own context have seen how that builds the bridge for those who have not yet received the gospel 
to uh, I love that phrase to uncross their arms. That's such a, a wonderful way to even think about our approach. Yeah, because sometimes it's just trying to convince people that you're not weird. Like straight up, like depending upon where you're at, Austin sounds a little bit more Bay Area-ish. But I mean, in our area, you know, the average thought that people have of, of Christians is 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 pretty bad. It's not just that like, oh, they're people of faith or something like that. There could be a host of things from, you know, bigoted, sexist, racist, or it could just be, they're weird. Yeah, I knew this this Christian kid in high school and he was just straight weird. So there's this kind of like environment that just says, oh, these people aren't as weird as I thought. I still think what they believe is wrong, but they're not they're not freaks type type of thing. And that actually goes a long way, especially in a culture that's starving for social relationships. I mean, we always say this, but despite all the social connections we have digitally and online, we are a socially disconnected, lonely people in America. And we're starving for that type of community and acceptance. Totally. Yeah. We, there was a study done, I guess they studied the top 20 largest cities in America and Austin's number 11. And it, actually it's moving up to 10, I think I heard, but which is surprising because, you know, we don't have any professional sports teams unless you count the UT Longhorns, but uh, that's a... That's They're kind of pro. They're kind of pro. <laughs> that's an NCAA <laughs> joke. But all that to say, we're the fourth largest city in, Amer- in Texas, so all the pro teams are elsewhere. But of all the 20 cities, uh, you know, cities are lonely places. And those top 20 cities, on average, one out of every five people says, I'm lonely. Like, this is a really hard place to live. Well, in Austin, it's twice that, two out of five. And so 40% of the people living in the city are lonely. We have an incredible opportunity to love them and serve them. And much like the people, you know, intrigued by the early church in Acts chapter two, it says they were praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. And on our culture, it's either you're enjoying the favor of the people or you're praising God. It's not both. But the reason is they were intrigued by their character, even if they didn't believe in their convictions. And I think as we create that kind of space, and if, you know, these are people we're going to work with, they're in our neighborhood, and we're sitting down having a breakfast taco on a Sunday before they get to hear some music and a message that might be helpful, uh, you know, all of a sudden, huh, Sunday mornings, I'm getting hugged by people. I'm getting handshakes. Like I'm actually having physical touch. I don't feel as lonely. It can be a, a wonderful way to to meet a real need in the lives of the people around us. Yeah, one of the things that's so encouraging to me about just everything you're saying, you have such a clear understanding of your city and your community. You've got your finger on the pulse of Austin. And um, in seminary, they teach us to no end about exegeting the text. And that's such a crucial element. Um, Another key responsibility for us in serving and, and leading in the local church is to exegete our city and to exegete our communities and to exegete our people, not for the sake, just like the scriptures, not for the sake of simply knowing more, uh, but for the sake of transformation, right? We exegete the text so that the text might transform us. And 
in the same way, we have to exegete our city, our communities, our people in a way that leads to transformation. And everything you're saying makes that so clear, even the way that you can sort of rattle off, you know, the, yeah. the statistics, the information, but also the vibe and the culture and the ethos of Austin. I, I just hope that those who are listening and people listen from all over really the world, um, wherever you are, man, that's how we need we need to be able to talk about our cities, our communities, the way Eric is talking about Austin. Like we have to understand where we are and what the people there are going through. It's such a, a sobering and poignant and yet incredibly necessary thing to know that in your city, two out of five people say that they're lonely. Well, there you go. Boom. Yeah. You know, the, the good news of Jesus fills that gap. And now we know what one of the major gaps are. Um, that we as a church are here to fill in that context. So I, I, I love that. I, I'm curious, Eric, uh, as you do that sort of work, you've mentioned this already, <clears throat> Austin is really, it's like a hip, cool, young city, music, food, the arts. And one of the things that we're so interested in here at, at Regeneration is how the local church can extend those bridges um, where, where there seem to be major gaps right now between um, the church and younger generations, uh, millennials and Gen Zers and, and so on. And you've, you've had a lot of experience on this in church planting as well as at Mosaic and now at Gateway in Austin. Um, talk to us a little bit about what you've learned in your years of ministry about what it takes um, for the local church to really effectively reach uh, younger generations. Yes, it's super critical. We're thinking like that. And really, everything you were talking about in terms of knowing your city is just approaching our city as missionaries and even thinking of the 20-somethings as a, as a people group that you're trying to target. And so what I've discovered, a uh, well, little background here, since we're 20 years old as a church, Gateway is, uh, we started with mostly young adults and college kids. And then as they got married and started having kids, they started moving further north where they could afford homes. And so that's where eventually our campus, which was closer to UT, ended up, uh, we ended up buying and building property up north. And then a year later, we started in a middle school down south. And so, uh, and more recently, two years ago, we started one near UT again. But the reason I bring that up was Gateway North and Gateway South here in Austin have gotten older and older. I mean, those are folks that we reached and now we're reaching their kids and their friends, and so it's mostly folks in their 30s and 40s. And so about two years ago, I just began to feel a real sense from God that we really needed to start taking on that younger generation. I mean, we're in a city with 120,000 college kids, some at UT, some at Austin Community College. More 20-somethings move here than any other city in America. And so we started really trying to figure out, you know, what are some things that we can do? And Part of that was not just saying, okay, let's, if we build it, they will come, but actually finding the 20 somethings that were totally invested in a part of our community and asking them, why are, you, why are you staying connected and what can we do to help you reach your friends? And, you know, in many ways, th that's one of the most basic things is finding that person of peace, like it says in Matthew 11, and then staying with them and helping them reach out to their friends and their you know neighbors and their roommates and that sort of thing and so what we try to do is just being real intentional starting with a life group that grows into a network so if we go back to Sundays are like Sermon on the Mount a network is like the 70 
So that's a group of people that are serving a people group. And then of that 70 is 12, which is a life group. And sometimes a life group can grow to to be large enough to have, you know, multiple life groups. And then together they're on mission. They're doing social events. They're doing service projects where you can invite in folks that aren't necessarily following Jesus. And so, and what's what's really been fun is to see these 20-somethings really own their mission to their friends. And I, and I still, you know, I'm, I'm not 20 anymore. And, and as missionaries, we try to speak the language, but it's, it's also very important for us to be authentic. And I think even 20 somethings are okay with a, a guy who's 20 years older that look up to as a big brother or an uncle, uh, that is helping them along the way. I feel like they're, this generation is far more open to that mentor than perhaps my generation was, or certainly my parents' generation was. And so for us to like empower them, to equip them, and to help them in reaching their friends. And so we started a Sunday night service. We did it at six o'clock, and we don't offer childcare. And so that's a crowd that all of a sudden we're starting to see more and more 20-somethings because when they come in the morning, there's a lot of kids running around and and so they just started to feel like, you know what, six o'clock Sunday nights is my place. And we'd still do the same songs, we do the same message. But, you know, I might tweak some of the illustrations and not tell so many about my children. (laughs) You know, the other thing that's very important, and this is true even when it comes to reaching out to people from different ethnic backgrounds, but involving people in the band that are representing the people you're trying to reach. If If you're not yet at a place where you have folks that you can involve in the band, Oftentimes we'll use videos of, of folks that we're trying, you know, representing those we're trying to reach or we'll have a host, we'll have a, a young host on Sunday nights. What we have to do is just be really intentional about how, how do we reach this, the city that we're in and how do we make sure that the people are coming know they're welcome here. And unintentionally, we tend to team with people who share, you know, our values and our personality and look like us and like the same kind of music and and to really start to think again like a missionary and let those that you've already reached help you reach their friends. To the visitor, it's come as you are. And then there's also an ethic for the people to be be who you are when you're serving, especially with younger people. They're just going to smell it a mile away. Like you're so many people try to be cool or try to use the language and it's just, it's so bad. And usually so it'd be like, like if Jay just started pretending about the KD and the TDM and he's like, nah, I just rock search and destroy, you know, I have no idea what you're talking he wouldn't, about. Right he now. wouldn't get that. Do you know Fortnite? <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know anything that you're talking about right now. To all the listeners, uh, shoot a tweet <laughs> out at Jay, break down Fortnite for him. They just added Thanos on the Fortnite. It's only limited about a week I or know two. Thanos. I'm approaching a, a hundred wins in Fortnite. Just throwing that out there. So, uh, Nice. But you know, it sounds so, it, people, you, you've seen people do that and they're just trying so hard to be cool and they even try to make the services cool all of a sudden and it just doesn't work. Like be who you are, be authentic and people will respond well. Yeah, it's it's funny this last week, uh, really an amazing story. This young gal grew up going to the church, but but really, you know, not sure if her faith was ever her own. Uh, goes off to college, makes a bunch of bad decisions, doesn't get to finish college. Uh, and really, in the midst of all that, she starts coming to Gateway, rediscovers her faith, uh, starts serving as an intern. She just got back from Greece, and she's talking about this trip to Greece. And it's such a beautiful 
thing. I've never heard anyone use this phrase, but she said, you know, it's so amazing. We were in the places where Paul spoke. And you guys, you, I, you don't know this about me, but Paul is my Bible crush. And I thought, you know what? I would never use that phrase. But I just love that she has a platform uh, with us to be able to share in her own way what God is doing in her life. Yeah, she's comfortable. She's herself. The story illustrates that somehow you have managed to create an environment that lives up to, to what you say. No perfect people allowed. Um, this welcoming, come as you are. And, and here's a gal who's coming just as she is. You know, that's the way she talks. It's the way she thinks. And yet Jesus has, has captured her heart and mind. What a, what a beautiful story. Um, Eric, so much of your work, you've done a lot of work over the years. You've written uh, and you do some consulting, a, a lot of different things in addition to your work at Gateway and the local church. So uh, for those who are listening and they're interested, um, let folks know some, maybe some of the things you're working on now, some of the things you've got out there and where they can find all that stuff. Sure. Yeah. EricBryant.org is where I, I post you know articles or or interviews or uh, any sort of resource, uh, usually folks come to find their calling, figure out how to reach new people, how to raise up leaders, how to maximize their team. Uh, we also just created some uh, new material uh, where you can find it at churchgrowthworkshop.com. And I wrote a book, uh, 10th anniversary edition just came out, Not Like Me, in loving, serving, and influencing our divided world, and several churches have used that as a sermon series or for their small groups, a great way to mobilize your people to engage our increasingly diverse and divided uh, world in which we live. I know for me, um, I've been on staff at Vintage Faith Church in Santa Cruz for the last couple of years, and I know before I came on board, while you were at Mosaic, and even as you've been at Gateway, you've been a tremendous gift to our church, our local church, uh, a great resource as well. So I feel personally indebted for your work and um, for the thoughtful ways in which you're helping not just your local church, but the local church at large really make a kingdom impact in the world. So um, Eric, thank you so much for your work, for your time. Uh, we're cheering you on. Keep doing what you're doing. And um, yeah, thanks again for this conversation. Hey, thanks for the kind words. Keep up your great work, Jay. You too, Isaac. <laughs>